The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Daniel Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This Is Working. On this show, we talk to leaders who have a significant impact on how we work and how we live. My guest today is Charles D. King. Charles is one of the most influential voices in entertainment today. His media company, Macro, already had an outsized impact on the industry. Macro's film Fences with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis received four Oscar nominations. Later, Judas and the Black Messiah became the first movie with an all-black producing team to be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. He's also had hit series like Raising Dion on Netflix, and Macro is still a very young company. Charles is building up his dream entertainment company, but he got a start in a slightly different part of the entertainment world. He earned a law degree from Howard University, and he knew where he wanted to take it, Hollywood. He got a job in the mailroom of talent agency William Morris Endeavor, the start of so many careers, and worked his way up the ladder to become the company's first black partner. He was repping major stars like Oprah, Tyler Perry, Janet Jackson, but had a bigger dream in mind. He quit to start Macro and to disrupt Hollywood in the ways it needed it most. To start off, I asked Charles to talk about the economy we're operating in today and to get his thoughts about how it's going to affect the entertainment industry. Here's our conversation. Well, there's absolutely some disruption in the marketplace now. We've seen quite a a market correction over the course of the last two months or so. Even when there's economic decline or recession, people still want to be entertained. People are still, still want to escape. People are going to watch content at home. There will still be folks that will go to live events and, and to movies and uh, theaters at times when it's eventized, but they'll be more selective. And so the same thing for companies uh, and investors, they may be more selective about the investments they make, the projects they choose. Uh, and there must, there's also going to be some pushback uh, or some correction around valuations. But even within that, there are opportunities still to grow and to advance. And that's what we look look to do, and which is also what we did during the pandemic. We actually used that moment to lean in. We actually doubled in size during the course of the pandemic. So I'm looking at this market correction of this period of time as a way for us to, within the disruption, we're going to find opportunity. Well, a lot of folks might know your movies, they know your TV shows, they might not know you and they might not know Macro. You were born almost at the beginning of the streaming era, leaving uh, WME, where you were a senior uh, partner there, had an incredible roster of clients. Can you talk about why you started Macro, what you saw in this sort of long-term vision you were hoping to uh, carry out? I saw an opportunity uh, for the media company, a studio of the future. For my 20 plus years in the agency world, I recognized that there were a lot of voices and stories that were not being told and that there were shifting demographics here domestically with growth of the African-American, Latino community, Asian community who are not being represented firmly in the stories from their communities and also the economic clout and power of those audiences. African-Americans watch 40 percent more television. The Latinx community is growing exponentially. The Asian community has not seen any representation. Same thing with the indigenous community. 50% of every uh, ticket purchase that when people go are going to see films are from people of color. Yet 
less than 10% of the movies had people of color at the center of them in the leading roles. And there were also similar challenges on the traditional cable networks and platforms. Now, the streaming platforms have doubled down because they have information around stats and statistics, and they understand that they're all looking to build subscriber growth. So they've had a little more diversity of the content engine and the projects that are on their pipeline. We've seen a nice uptick over the course of the last seven years, most of which happened right around the time the macro launched and the growth that we've seen since then. And I'd like to believe that we as a company, when we launched seven and a half years ago, we were the first of the entertainment and independent studios to have to raise capital to not only finance development and produce, but also be able to fund production with a focus solely on telling stories from the multicultural marketplace. And what we've seen is that there are now at least a, a handful of other companies, celebrity-driven media companies that are also too recognizing that these markets are underserved. And they're also have gone out to re- raise third-party capital, all of which I think is positive for the entire marketplace. So I'd like to think of, of macro and our efforts being a positive market mover and disruptor to create more opportunity for all of these voices, while at the same time we're continuing to build a global billion-plus media company. You talk about this idea of realizing that the stories and the storytellers were not getting seen, were not being made, were not being financed, that you realize this when you were at WME. In your mind, it sounds like this was, it was so obvious. I mean, these are the people who were buying tickets. These are the stories they wanted to hear. These are people who could tell the stories, but the money wasn't going to them. Was there a period or years where you were sitting there and you were super powerful, banging your head against the wall saying, why can I not get funding for these people? I mean, why do you think it didn't happen? I definitely sat there for years with the challenge of, you know, you have to make 20 calls to get that one yes. But of course, you know, I was very good at it. I also represented some incredible artists. And so we were able to chip away and, and we were able to create a pipeline. I think over the course of my time, I was an agent. I was a part of packaging or representing the primary writer, filmmaker, or director of at least 55 movies and it generated close to $3 billion in box office revenue. And what would happen is uh, week after week or when projects would be released, they would typically overperform based upon the budget ranges of the movies that they were being, the, that the movies were being made at. And so we would see it, whether it was Kings of Comedy, my first year or so as an agent who did that $3 million movie, made $40 million in the box office, or a couple of years later, it was Barbershop. A few years after that, when I started representing Tyler Perry and we, and we helped him, uh, he basically co-financed his first movie alongside Lionsgate, that $5 million movie did over 50 plus million at the box office. And it was the foundation of this massive business that, that that Tyler now has built and he had the vision for it. And I was just his agent helping to be a part of effectuating that vision. And I would just see it week after week when various clients and artists I was representing when their movies would come out or their shows would be released on platforms. And it was clear that there was a market that was underserved, that was hungry to see themselves on screen and weren't being represented. And I recognized that the true power in being able to effectuate change and to build was to raise capital, to do it independently and in conjunction with distribution partners. And that's exactly what we've done. And we brought in great partners and we've been building and it's been great. We've had uh, Tyler Perry on this show a couple of times and it is exactly what you're describing, which is you have this incredibly clear vision and then the money follows. You would think 
that in standard economics idea, you know, suddenly all the money pours in. This is a vision is now proven out in terms of the economics. Everyone decides to copy that. The economics come down. But it, it hasn't that wasn't the case with you or with Tyler, really. Was it surprising to you that other people weren't copying your formula? I mean, look, he, Tyler was such a unique individual. He cultivated his audience for years in the theater world, and he was so authentic and specific and continues to be. I mean, he has a rabid audience and fan base that he's cultivated for years, and they're loyal to him, and he's done a great job really supersizing and, and serving this amazing audience. So people could try to copy that, but I think it would be challenging to copy it. But what you could see is that there's an audience that's not represented, that wants to see content that represents the spectrum of their, their communities. And even when you look in the multicultural marketplace, African-American, Latinx, Asian, they're multifaceted. And so there are huge swaths of interest within every community and not just one monolithic way of telling stories. And, and that was the other thing where it was clear that there were other stories to be told from every one of these audience and other ways to tell them. And that's what we've been doing at Macro, which is one of the reasons why we leaned in on making sure that not only were African-American communities being served, but Latinx and the Asian communities. And we're also making sure that the content that we're creating is very culturally authentic, very real and, and specific to them, but also, too, has universal appeal such that it's content that's a level of excellence and quality to our storytelling and filmmaking where others and, and a wide audience also has appreciated and will continue to do so. We've clearly seen this from some of the biggest movie stars in the world. Look at Will Smith. Look at The Rock. These are they're men of color and they're global box office icons and superstars. And, and they're in movies that are like eventized and people love to see them on screen around the world. And so there's no reason why more of those stories can't be told, as well as smaller stories that may be more specific and culturally nuanced. I've heard you talk in the past about rubric and macro, the sort of six, five or six ideas that you use before you'll finance anything. Can you run us through those? I can run you through some of them. I can't right. give away all my secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> but no, one of them, we have to have personal color at the center of the storytelling. The star or co-star has to be a person of color, period. There's no, hey, they're in the supporting character role or you know, there's some representation. We saw them in the background there, but they weren't really the driver of the storyline. They have to either be the lead or a very strong co-lead. So like in the case of Mudbound, it's an African-American family, is a white family, two of them coexisting, you know, during the, the Jim Crow sharecropping, you know, during that world, during that time. And and so it was the showing these two families during that time. But we, we need to make sure that if you're not the lead, you're a strong co-lead and you're a driving element of the storytelling, the filmmaker, the writers, and also part of the producing team. We also want to make sure that the projects that we're making are also fiscally and financially responsible. So we are a for-profit company, so we want to make sure that every project, really you look at it and you analyze what's the best platform. Should you make this movie independently? Should we finance this, this project with a distribution platform, with a studio? like we did with Judas and the Black Messiah. Or perhaps this is a project that we should make with a streamer. You're the studio delivering the movie to a streaming platform and you have your economic return from that. And you look at what is the right way, what's the right platform and partner to align yourself with when you're gonna go and tell that story. So we wanna make sure that they're gonna be profitable returns. The other thing is we also look to the excellence of the storytelling and 
who's the driving filmmaker behind it. So whether it's a young filmmaker, like I think we financed or produced movies with nine first-time filmmakers, or whether it's an A-level movie star who's getting behind the camera the way Denzel Washington was the director on Fences, but he had a unique purpose per point of view and perspective on how he wanted to tell that story. Those are three of those uh, of, what, of our six rubrics, but uh, yeah, there are a few others as well. All right, we'll try to tease out the rest throughout this interview. Charles, we you talk a little <laughs> bit about how you're making these decisions. When you are in the financing business, the fewer risks, the better. So how do you make that decision with someone who doesn't have a track record or doesn't have a track record in the exact area that they want to go into? First and foremost, we're sitting down with filmmakers and artists. I'd say the biggest thing is, what's the why? What's their purpose? Why are they looking to tell this story? What's driving them? What's the passion behind it? When we use this analogy every time we are uh, contemplating a project that we're going to get involved in, but we think about when there's a gun and you've got, like, say, six bullets you can put into a chamber of gun, are you willing to use one of those bullets? For not only the filmmaker and the artist, like, what's their passion and why they want to tell the story? What are they looking Are they looking to effectuate change? How are they looking to entertain audiences? But also, too, for myself and our colleagues, want to make sure we're, we're just as passionate and as thirsty to tell the story as the artists that we're aligning ourselves with. And then we're going in partnership together. So if anything, there's like three, three P's that we look at. You know, what's the purpose? You know, what's the passion? And what's the partnership? And so those are three key things that will that are analyzed. In addition to overlaying the macro rubric, looking at what are the potential financial returns and modeling, we do all of those things. But you can't take out the artistry, creative side of it as well. And uh, and that's what I believe was one of the reasons why we've had over 15 uh, Academy Award nominations with our projects in just the short seven years since we've launched. We've only been involved with 16 projects so far, and we've had a, a great uh, return so far in terms of the critical acclaim and uh, and how well our, our projects have been performing. I saw a number, and this is about a year old now, where 80% of your projects were profitable, which is pretty unusual in Hollywood. That's not a that, that is not a number you typically see. Yeah, we've been we've been very fortunate. It's typically 80%, I think, underperform, and then there's a 20% that are outliers. So we've had 20% that haven't performed. There have been a few that haven't done as well um, financially, and then at least 80% of them we've either broke even or made a slight profit. And uh, but we got to get a few of our projects now. The next step will be of those 80 percent. We got to have 20 percent of those at least overperform uh, and, and get some global, you know, theatrical returns. I got a few. We got to find. I've got to find. Figure out how I can partner with my brother Ryan Coogler, someone get a get a Black Panther in there and really have uh, have our portfolio you know, go to new heights. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Charles shares more wisdom and advice. Stick around. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. 
From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. When Charles was launching Macro, he was very selective about who the company would partner with. I asked him to share some of his process and give advice for other entrepreneurs who are looking to raise funds. Here's Charles. Now, it's been an interesting process, you know, in building the company and aligning ourselves with incredibly thoughtful, mission-aligned partners who are also savvy business people. And I was just, I've been very blessed with the partners that we've we've had who have been uh, long-term investors who also see the business that we're building, but also we're mission aligned uh, with the quality of the content, the storytelling, our mission to make sure that there's representation in front of and behind the cameras, as well as our mission to economically empower communities of color. Once I recognized that I needed to make sure that who we bring into our family was mission aligned, we were able to choose to walk away from partners that were the wrong partners uh, and find, you know, just these great partners who've been with us along the journey. Uh, and we've, as we've continued to build, we've raised additional capital. And I always apply this similar lens when we look to bring in new investors uh, to work alongside of the great partners that we have up to this point. So when we take meetings and we sit down with people and they don't uh, understand the vision or they are um, not also align with the way we're looking to grow or they're not uh, coming from a perspective of seeing the large in scope opportunity, then we know that they're not the right partners. One of the reasons why we've called macro macro is because we understand there's a global opportunity that what we're building isn't just a niche, small play. The word minority will never come out of my mouth. I always say we're the global new majority. And that's truly what I believe with macro we're building. We're building a global media company of the present and of the future. And that really is where we're headed. Uh, When you look at our demographics globally, when you look at our economic clout, when you look at our impact on culture across every medium and film and television is really the next step. And it's the most powerful and potent of them all. And it's just a matter of time. And we're part of that sea change that you're going to see and will continue to see in, in, in our business. What advice do you have for underrepresented filmmakers? Uh, The first thing I would say is hone your craft, study, uh, study your craft, uh, also work, get hands-on experience. Nothing is more valuable than the experience that you can get from internships, 
from shadowing opportunities, from being mentored, from uh, people who've already blazed the trail and are doing the level of work and the type of work that you're interested in doing. Obviously, going to school and studying filmmaking, that's important, but there are so many accomplished filmmakers and storytellers that didn't necessarily have a traditional background of going to film school, but they learned, they worked as apprentice, they were on sets, they had the experience working as PAs, they worked in writer's rooms, they worked as assistants at talent agencies, they worked at production companies and studios or as publicists. Get the hands-on experience uh, and then really hone your craft and continue to build. The second thing is I would say mentorship. Mentorship is incredibly important and valuable from your community, but also outside of it and learning from others who have uh, have experience and who've blazed the trail beyond you. And then the last thing I would say is have perseverance. You need to have thick skin in this industry. You need to just believe in yourself, have confidence in yourself, have know your truth and never allow someone else to tell you what your value is uh, and know that you've got that value for the stories that you want to tell. And also do not change the stories that you want to tell to fit someone else's mandate. There's a reason why the fire to tell a certain story or types of stories was put into your heart or, or you were given the skill set to, to create that content. And just make sure that uh, you're not creating content just because you think it's going to perform in the marketplace or this is what's going to sell. Make sure it's coming from a place of true artistry and passion. And that's where I believe real success and, and, and transformative change happens. It's not from following the road of like, you know, doing the same regurgitated content that you've seen 20 other times. Well, I feel like you were talking a little bit about your career. You have owned your own story and you have sort of, it seems like known exactly the path that you wanted to go on. You've got these long-term 10-year plans uh, that started when you entered the mailroom at WME. So how did you think about your own career? Are you always on one of these paths? Do you have a vision for where you want to be a decade from now and have always had that? Somewhere in college, I'm not exactly sure how and when this happened, I definitely went through the process of writing my goals down on paper. And there is true value in writing down your goals, your dreams, your vision. That's one step. But then you then you put together your plan on how you're going to achieve it. In many cases, when you know what your long term goal is, you can have a plan of this is how I think I'm going to achieve that goal. And at times you hit a wall or you, you, you run into a roadblock and you figure out how to go around it or over it or under it or through it. Uh, and you adapt and you evolve. But as long as you never take your sight off of what the long term vision and plan is, you know what you're working towards. So I've always had a North Star. And then I try to have like the steps in between. So if the North Star is 20, 25 years out, I'll have that five year plan, the 10 year plan of, of the hurdles and the accomplishments that I'm looking to uh, achieve within those periods of time. And it's really served me well, whether it was when I was a, uh, an undergraduate student in Vanderbilt or during my uh, studies at Howard Law, uh, if during my time in the mill room, you know, I always had a North Star of what I was looking to achieve and accomplish. Now I would adapt and evolve through the process, but I always knew what the end goal was. Uh, and um, I definitely believe that a big part of it is planning, and writing my goals down on paper. So what are your current goals? 
Well, my North Star continues to be we're building a multi-billion dollar global media company. That was always the vision. That was always the plan, even back from when I was at Howard Law. And step one was what's the right position and uh, to, to serve as the foundation. And uh, that turned out to be being, you know, a, a, a talent agent and being a talent agent at William Morris. And then then was being a senior partner. And then it was the launch of Macro, which came, you know, almost 15 plus years later. Uh, and so we're we're early days with where we're going as a company. Macro will be one of those entertainment businesses and brands that you will that by the generations to come like Disney or Fox or DreamWorks will the way they'll be around. Macro will be one of those as well. And so in order to, for us to continue to get through that down that path, we're going to have to continue scaling, which is what we've been doing. You know, like I said earlier, we doubled in our size over the course of the pandemic. We doubled down and, and launched one of our more recent verticals, which was our representation vertical. And that business has taken off. It's literally, I think, the most incredible partner there and, and, and colleagues in that group. And that company is one of the most exciting, vibrant representation businesses in our industry today. And we're only two years in. So you can only imagine where that's going to go. And you can, we're going to continue to fortify all of the core businesses that we're in. And then we're going to expand. Uh, you'll, you'll, they'll, it'll get bigger. You can only imagine the opportunities for our brand as we expand globally. And then we'll begin to look at what are other new verticals to get into once our our, our core base is mature uh, and is fortified. And that means staying independent. Are you committed to that? Or is there a world where maybe you join forces with someone else? For now, I believe we're, we'll stay independent uh, for a short term, at least, I believe, for the next three to five years. If there are opportunities to align with partners to further scale, where it truly will put the company on the trajectory uh, that we envision, as well as the making sure that the legacy of the brand uh, will continue to grow and uh, and expand globally the way that we've envisioned, we'll always we'll always evaluate that. But I believe for the next the next at least for the foreseeable future, we will make remain as an independent studio. We'll partner with with people. We've you know, we've had partnerships for three years. We had a first look uh, distribution and production deal with Warner Brothers. We, we will announce, I'm sure soon, an alignment with another uh, studio in the in the future uh, for our film business. Our television business is continues to be independent. But at some point, maybe there is a larger global arrangement. But for now, uh, we're going to continue to be an independent studio. All right. Well, I have one last question here. I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but I got to ask it. Many in the stream want to know how to get a pitch to Macro. <laughs> Especially many who don't have agents, and but they have great ideas. They have the passion. They know the why. What's the way? Okay. Is there a way to get to you? What do you say? Definitely for Macro, we're a company that is accessible. We can't take unsolicited pitches. But one of the things we've done, because we want to make sure we are building relationships with the next generation of filmmakers uh, and storytellers. Every year we have at least one, if not two labs where we're working with unrepresented writers and we'll take submissions, we'll read all the material, we'll whittle it down and we'll select the top you know, 500 or so and have their projects reviewed by a partner. We've had a partnership for several years with The Blacklist. Um, so we've done, we've partnered with them several times on our labs. Um, and then we'll then identify and will it down to another 10 and then we'll pick a project that we'll move forward with with someone out of that out of that process. But what we've noticed from this is usually the top five to 10 of the 
creators in those pro on those projects ultimately find representation by virtue of being one of the finalists on one of Macro's labs. Uh, and so that's uh, that's one way that we've found that we've been able to be helpful, even if, if we don't end up moving forward with the artists on those projects. But we will typically get into business with artists that way. The other way is there are other labs that people can apply to all over town and writers programs at almost every one of the at every one of the studios. I'm on the board of the Sundance Institute. They have incredible programs at Sundance that is impeccable and first in class in identifying as well as cultivating, educating writers, editors, producers, and filmmakers through both television, film, and documentary, storytelling, and short form content. And so I would also recommend for artists that are unrepresented to apply to all of those labs and programs as well. Uh, and then I'd say for the being on the hunt for representation, we have a representation group now that represents A-level filmmakers and movie stars, but they also are signing and representing next the next generation of voices. So I would say get in front of them, but there are other companies as well. The last thing I would say to those creators who are, who are trying to get acknowledged, the days of the traditional studios and agencies calling all the shots of, you know, hey, please see my work or get my film made with the, the way that we're able to and creative storytellers can create content and put it out on social media, can create a short form digital series, can create a sizzle reel, create a proof of concept short. I cannot stress enough how, how valuable that is and how powerful that will be for you for telling your own story and having those parties when you use social media, when you create that content, you put it out there organically, those people will come searching for you. Several of our projects have come from that. Raising Dion, we partnered with Dennis Liu. He created a short film about a, a single black mom raising her son who had superpowers. And he wrote a graphic novel and he put it out on the internet and it took off virally. I saw it around the same time that several people did, including my brother and friend, Michael B. Jordan. The two of us sat down with Dennis Liu. We didn't win the bidding war with Netflix because they saw it too. But Dennis said, well, I love Macro and I love R Michael B. Jordan. We started working with Dennis and then that show became Raising Dion. We did two seasons on Netflix. Dennis had never made a film or a television show before. He made a short and a graphic novel. Second thing is there's another show we made called Hentified. Marvin Lemus and Lindy Yvette Chavez, they sat down with my colleagues who were, were heading up our, our digital studio or my colleague, Aaliyah Williams, who was heading it up then, and my other colleague, Mike Pallant, we financed it as a digital series. Then we put it out virally when we partnered with, with America Ferrer. We took it to Sundance, and we had six, six studios bidding on it. We did two seasons at Netflix on that show. Marvin Lemus had never made a television show or a movie before. Marvin Lemus now was a showrunner on his own show. He's directing television. He's directing movies. Lindy Vett Chavez... Literally, she got signed by a manager and an agent. She's represented by WME. She's got a great manager. In addition, she's got an overall deal somewhere. She has a movie she just adapted that Ava Longoria directed. It's in post-production. She's got another movie that America Ferreira is directing that Macro is producing. And they're two of the hottest writers. And it came from Macro producing a digital series with them for a very small amount of money. But we could show what their work was. So for all these storytellers and creative creators out there, don't wait on big studios and agencies to call you. You can empower yourself for a few thousand dollars 
and great storytelling will resonate and use social media. And then we're going to come searching for you. That is incredible. You have left people with not just hope, but concrete ideas that they can use to get started and to find their own way. And so much of this is about the understanding that the power is in our hands more than ever today. You don't have to wait for the gatekeepers to let you in. You can rattle right. the gates. Well, Charles, I feel like we just scratched the surface here. <laughs> Considering the scope and the plans for uh, macro, I hope that you'll come back and we'll continue this conversation and look at what you've done in the coming years. Uh, I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. Everyone, keep, keep doing your thing. Appreciate it. Have a great day. That was Charles D. King, the founder and CEO of Macro. To dive deeper into this conversation, check out my newsletter on LinkedIn. It's also called This Is Working. And be sure to click the little bell on my profile if you always want to get alerts for new posts. Charles has been working tirelessly to see his big vision come to life. The risks he's taken, the work he's producing, it's all in the service, as he talked about, of building up a multi-billion dollar global media company. But I couldn't get beyond the fact that he has these 7, 10, 12-year plans that he's always carrying out. I mean, this is a guy who thinks ahead, while I'm someone who can barely think beyond lunch. So I would love to know, are you the kind of person who thinks ahead, who sets these long-term goals? And if so, what's the secret to carrying them out? Let me know wherever you talk about podcasts. You can tag me into the conversation using the hashtag, this is working. Please share this episode with a friend who has big dreams and lots of drive. And remember to rate and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. It helps so much. This is Working as a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Stephen Valdivia, Victoria Taylor, and Candace Weiner. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our head of news production. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon.